All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Grace Hope Church. Glad to join you on this Sunday morning. This is your first time here. My name is Thomas, and I'm one of the pastors who are here at this church. Uh, as Pastor Sam mentioned earlier, uh, last week was super encouraging having that Sunday launch. Uh, it was a blessing to finally meet together and to have a, kind of a rallying point and identity as a church. And, and afterwards, we actually had a members meeting, and that was such a meaningful members meeting that was so encouraging. Uh, we are going to have membership classes in the future if you are interested in becoming a member, uh, but very blessed by all the members and all of us who gathered this past week. Uh, speaking of, if you are a member but you weren't here for our launch last week, uh, we do have a members directory where pretty much we want to know who the members are and even how we could pray for one another. And so if you are a member after service at the welcoming table, there will be a members directories for you to pick up. And again, for everybody though, if you want to know more about our church and what we're about, please pick up that booklet and it will tell you a snapshot of who we are and who we aspire to be. Um, as a church. This is your very first time here. We welcome you. We're, we've been going through a sermon series entitled All Things New. And the reason why we're going through this sermon series is we're kicking off not just a new year, but again, as we've been mentioning a couple of times, a new season, a new chapter in our church where we have a, a, a pretty much a, a launch for our church, a new name and new everything. And so um, the first Sunday of January, we started this series and we called it A New Way. Pretty much we want to be a church that doesn't follow the way of the world, nor follows the way of religion, but we want to be a church that follows the way of Christ. And we talked about and spelled out what that looked like. Then last week we had our launch where uh, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Steve Bang, where he came and gave us a new charge. As we launched as a church, uh, the encouragement was to receive a blessing and to be a blessing here in the city of Buena Park, and that's something that I hope that we could all take to heart. Uh, today, we're going through part three, and we're going to be talking about what we call a new mission, a new mission. Um, you might have seen it kind of blasted on our social media or in the booklets or everywhere that you kind of see um, regarding our church, but our church has a new mission statement, and what, why I, what I want to do today is I want to talk about it. Uh, on this Sunday, on this pulpit, and explain why this is our mission and what we're even talking about. And so even though this is the first time we'll be going through our mission, uh, this will not be the last. And so to go through that, we're actually going to look at a passage in the Old Testament from the book of Judges. If you have your program, this is, the passage is there. It's not going to be on the screen anymore. And so if you, don't, if you didn't grab a program, just grab a program in the future especially. But for now, if you have an app, if you have your Bibles, if you want to bring your Bibles, we'd love to be a Bible-bringing church. Uh, but we're always going to refer actually to the program for our passages, uh, at least for the time being. Uh, if you don't have the programs today, you could always use your app. But I don't believe it's going to be on the screen. It's going to be, the text is going to be right in front of you. And so it's going to be Judges chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 and all the way to Verse 12. So if there with me, I'll read out loud starting verse 6. So when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take a possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaharis, in the country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gesh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. This is a reading of God's word. 
few weeks back, I mentioned to our church that I was planning to take my son to his very first Laker game. And that time has passed, and we went to the Laker game, and it was awesome. Super encouraging, super fun. Always dreamed of bonding with my son, watching a live basketball game. Uh, but I realized when we were actually preparing for the day to go to the Laker game, he had never experienced um, L.A. culture. He's never driven to L.A. He's never driven to Staples Center. And so when I said, hey, we're going to go to the Laker game, he got super excited, put on his jersey. And as we went to the car, I said, but we have to stop by the gas station. And so we stopped by, put in gas, and then we drove. Like, now we're going, and we're driving, and we're on the freeway for a very long time. And if, you, if you're from L.A., you know, at a certain point, you're going to hit the traffic. You're going to hit L.A. traffic, and we just stopped bumper to bumper. And then after we exited, you know, because it's Staples Center and it's L.A., parking is crazy. So I tried to find some type of affordable parking, looking around. And after we parked, we had to walk all the way to Staples Center. And so what happened was throughout that journey, my son, he did what many kids do. He started complaining. Why so long? Why are we getting gas? Why are we walking? Why are we doing all this? Now imagine if my son asked all these questions and I responded, I have no idea. I have no idea why we're walking. I bet you my son, he would probably feel deflated. He'd probably just stop walking. He might just start complaining all the more. However, when he did complain, I didn't do that. I didn't say I didn't know. I was so patient. I was so loving towards my son. Every time he asked me, I was like, son, this is why we're going and walking. We're going to watch the Lakers. We're watching the Lakers. We're going to see LeBron James. This is, this is what we're doing. That's the purpose. And every time I told my son that we're going to watch the Lakers, reminding him, it didn't change the situation. We had to keep walking. We had to keep driving. But it gave him motivation to keep going. It gave purpose to our walking, purpose to our driving, purpose to everything that we're doing. And that's really important. When you're involved in something or you're doing something or you're being told to do something, you're being charged to do something, you need a purpose. You need something to kind of get you going, to know why you're doing it. In other words, a lot of corporations, a lot of entities, a lot of people, you need a mission. It's the mission. It provides meaning and direction for everybody who's a part of it. And every, again, every corporation, they have a mission, in and out of the, the best hamburgers in town. Uh, their mission and purpose, it's not just to make burgers, but their mission statement is they want to make the freshest, highest quality burgers, which explains why they go through so much trouble to get fresh ingredients, because that's their mission. That's their purpose. They'll pay the cost to do that. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A's mission is not just to make great chicken sandwiches, but they want to win customers. That's their goal which now explains why the workers always say, my pleasure, because that's part of winning the customers. In a similar way, the church needs to remember that it has a mission. It has a purpose. Otherwise, you're going to be kind of tired moving forward. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we gathering here on Sundays? Why am I reading the Psalms, the Psalm book? Why am I gathering community groups or serving? Like, what's the purpose in all this? Because it's not easy. It takes effort. But what helps give those practices meaning is the purpose, the mission of what you're doing. So the mission of God's church, what is it? Generally speaking, every church should have the same mission, generally speaking, because we don't make up the mission. The founder of the church makes up the mission. Jesus Christ makes up the mission. And the way that uh, I like to say what the mission of the church is, it's threefold. It's threefold. If you only pick one of them, I feel like it kind of deforms what the church is supposed to do. Well, one of the most familiar ones comes from Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Make disciples. 
But the second part of it is not just the great commission to make disciples, but also the great command. Love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. And then lastly, the third part is the great requirement. Seek justice, love mercy. This is the mission of the church. Make disciples, love your neighbors, seek justice, love mercy. That's what the church is called to do. And if I were to look at those three different points and to summarize, well, what does that even mean? Like, how do we summarize what the church is supposed to do? Every local church, what they should generally do is, I'd say in this one statement, raise followers of Christ. To raise followers of Christ. To make disciples, however you want to word it, but that's the general thing that every church is supposed to do. You're not to be a political party. You're not just to be a social club, but to make people like Jesus. To learn what it means to follow Jesus. Now, that's every church, generally speaking, and no other pastor, I think, would disagree with that. But here at Buena Park, at Grace Hill Church, what is our mission? What are we supposed to do in this particular place at this particular time for this particular people? And that's where it shaped things a little bit. And where the proposal of what we want to do here, what is the purpose of everything that we're doing that doesn't stray too far from this is a couple of key words. To raise passionate followers of Christ in all of life. So we don't want to just raise followers of Christ, but we want to raise passionate followers for all of life. Now, what does this all mean? And that's what I hope to do today. I hope to explain why this is our mission, why we want to raise passionate followers of Christ here. Secondly, how do we do our mission? How do we raise passionate followers of Christ? And then lastly, where do we practice our mission? Where do we practice being passionate followers of Christ. And so again, this is your first time here. It's a great Sunday because this is what our church is about. This is what our church aims to do. And if you're a member and you've seen this statement, let me flesh it out for us to let us know this is what the goal is for our church. So first, why this mission? Why raise passionate followers of Christ? So Judges chapter 2, to the passage we just read. Strange passage to talk about a mission statement, right? A strange passage. But I feel like this passage, it helps explain the urgency and the desire for this mission for our church. A little bit of context. In the book of Judges, it's, you have a group of Israelites who are gathered together in the promised land. Before that, they were delivered from Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God led in the wilderness. And in the book of Joshua, they conquered, entered the promised land, conquered it. And now that the promised land got, for the most part, conquered, what we see is that Joshua in Judges chapter 2, he invites everybody to come and have an assembly. Let's gather together. Let's renew our covenant with God now that we're in the promised land. And what you see in this assembly is three different generations of people gathered together. Kind of like here right now. We're all here together, but we're not all the same age. There are different generations here. You have a couple of Gen Xers who are here. You have a large group of millennials here. And you have a big group of Gen Z here, right? We're all here together. And what happens is amongst these three generations in Israel, you see it separately. There's a generation of Joshua the generation of the elders, and there's something called the new generation. Now first, what happens is, in this context, it describes each generation. And in verses 6 to 7, we see the first one. It says, and if you look in your program or in your, in your app, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now this is the first generation, the Joshua generation. And they are described as a people who served all the days of Joshua. When you see this, this, this description that seems subtle, but I actually think it's really important, how would you describe this generation? 
How would you describe what this generation is like? If it were up to me, what I would say is, you know what this generation is, Joshua's generation? This is a passionate generation. This is a generation filled with passion. And again, the reason why is that description in the verse. They served the Lord all the days of Joshua. All the days. That's passion. Now, for a lot of us here, you go, huh? How's that passion? Because when we think of passion, we think of hands raising, loud emotive expressions, dancing and singing, a lot of loudness. And we go, that's passion. Um, but let me beg to differ. Okay? And let me share this by sharing again my story with my son at the Laker game. Some of you guys follow me on Instagram. When I brought my son to the Laker game, he was going crazy. Like the game was happening, and he was just like cheering up and down. Like it was kind of embarrassing. Everyone was like looking at us in the crowd. They're going, this kid is crazy. And so many people who follow me on Instagram, when they saw that, they all commented going, dude, your son, he's, a pa- he's passionate. Look at that passion. And I remember when they would say that, I'd be like, you know, true, like he's jumping and screaming and, you know, I could see what you're talking about, but if you knew my son, he does that at any big event. Doesn't matter. We went to Disney on ice, same thing, jumping up and down, screaming and so forth. If you were part of our church's VBS, our vacation Bible school, same thing. I don't know if he believes in God yet, but he's jumping up and down, just going, oh, this is amazing. That's just my son. My son just likes to go crazy in those big events. And so that's actually not... I'm not sure if I call that passion. That was just him being intense and excited. You want to know what passion is? It's when we go home. My son, all he wants to do is talk about basketball. Literally all day, he just tells me about stuff that I've heard every day about LeBron James and things that we already talked about. Every day, he wants to watch basketball. He always wants to watch clips of the Lakers, highlights of LeBron James. And every day, if you come over, I guarantee he's going to want to play basketball with you. He's going to challenge you one-on-one, and he's going to make you make him win because he has, like, this basket to move out of the way. He always has to shoot it. He goes, move out of the way. He shoots it. You're going to lose because he rigs the game. But no matter what, he just wants to play. Ball is life. Ball is life for this kid. When I see that, I'm like, "Mm, that's passion. That's passion. Because imagine if he went to the Laker game, and that was the only time he got excited, and he never thought about basketball again. That's just a fad. That's just a moment. But passion is this deep thing that just, you just deep enthusiasm that keeps you going, that's there all the time, even if nobody else sees it. How do you know when you're passionate about something like that? You just see it in their whole life. Like they're just involved in that thing they're passionate about. Some of you in this room, through COVID, because you were stuck at home, you had to pick up hobbies and you started playing golf. And you like golf. But there's some of y'all you are passionate about golf. And I know you are. You know why? I know why you pick your places to travel for vacation. It's based on golf. What has good, good courses out there? Oh, Palm Springs? Oh, let's go to Palm Springs, hon. Great for the kids and for golf. Some of you, you dress like golfers now on your free time. Like you just kind of know the gear. Some of you, your budgeting is all about golfing now. Why? You don't just like golf. Passionate about golf. Some of you, you don't just like fantasy football. You're passionate about fantasy football. You're on your phone right now checking your players to see their stats because you're just thinking about it all the time. Some of you, you know all the players and their research and who to pick up and who to drop because you're researching it all the time. Some of you, it's literally like your finances. You're just like checking like it's a stock market going like, what's going on with my players? And this isn't even real. It's like fake stuff. You're not even winning anything. 
and yet fantasy thing. That's your thing. If you don't just like it, it's a passion. Some of you don't just like your job. Your job's your passion. You're passionate about your career. Your whole schedule revolves around your job. Your, where you live, it revolves around your job. How you sleep, it revolves around your job. Because we don't just like our job, we're passionate. Author John Tyson, he says it like this, quote, isn't it amazing how when people discover a new passion, it begins to affect everything they do. People change their clothing, they adjust their schedules, they fill their vocabulary with new words. They adjust their budgets, their friendships, and other relationships to align with the thing that has captured their hearts. Participation brings formation. Over time, we are shaped by the things that we serve. A lot of us here, I think when we think about God now, and we're a Christian, we know who God is. We even like God. We even believe in God. But are you passionate about God? Can someone look at your life going, you know, you're not, you don't just like Jesus, like you're passionate about this person. Is that true of your life right now? And here at our church, that's something that we want to do. Uh, I, I don't want to be a church where we simply hope that people know who God is, although that hope, that's the baseline, that's nice. Or even believe in God, that's cool too, but at our church, the hope is that we can have people who are passionate about him. Passionate. And there's a couple of reasons why I think we need to have a church that's passionate about Jesus. Reason number one is that oftentimes we're passionate about something, it's just not very life-giving. You all have a passion. I, and I realized even the most apathetic person, at first I thought you're just apathetic, but I realized, oh, you're passionate about something. Whether it be Dungeons and Dragons, or whether it be League of Legends, or whether it be a guy or a girl. You may not be passionate about the right things, but you're passionate about something. And for us, that's something that, as a church, we recognize that deep down inside, everybody hungers and longs to live a passionate life. But oftentimes, we are passionate about things that don't give life. And we as a church, what we want to say is there is something better. There is something more life-giving to devote so much of your time to. Fantasy is cool. Golfing is cool. But those things eventually become very empty because those are not life-giving things, because you were made for more. David Pallison, he's a Christian counselor, he says it like this, quote, your life, you realize it's so much more. There are better things to give your energies to. I promise you this. I promise you that there is something much more important going on in your life than the stuff that you are worrying about. Something much bigger is playing in this town. And at our church, that's what we want to point people to. Be passionate, but be passionate about the right things. Be passionate about things that are life-giving. Here's the second reason why we want to be a passionate church, a church that raises passionate followers. We worship a God who's passionate about us. God is, he doesn't just like you. God is passionate for you. The gospel tells us that God didn't just look down on us going, you know, I like these people. I guess I'll talk to them every once in a while. He literally sent his son to come to suffer on our behalf and to take away the condemnation that we deserve. Jesus is suffering. You know what it's called? It's literally called the passion. It's the passion. Because God doesn't just know us or like us, he is passionate for us. And if God is passionate for us and we understand God is passionate for us, the natural response is to also be passionate for him. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter six, the Lord instructs Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In other words, he wants a passionate love from us because he is a passionate God to us. The last reason why we want to raise passionate followers is when we are passionate for God, others will be drawn to also be passionate for him. You know my son, we introduced him to a lot of sports. He played uh, in a soccer league. He played t-ball. And he also played basketball. And yet, out of those three things that he's done, he's most into basketball. Why? Now, it's not because he's better at one of those three than the other. He's pretty mediocre in all three. Okay, his same level. It's not because he got exposed to one more than the other. We try to, he played in City League for soccer. He watches the World Series with baseball with us. But when I think back going, why of all the sports that we introduced him to that we wanted him to get involved with, he picked basketball. And I can't help but think a big reason why he picked basketball is because of me. Because to be honest, I wanted him to play baseball, but I don't care about baseball. Man, I tried to like baseball. I really tried. And it's hard. I don't know what's going on. It's slow. I went to the games. And I'm just like, oh, I can't do this. And soccer, my goodness. Soccer, I mean, I tried, and all, all the people from, like, Asia tell me, oh, it's soccer, and I'm just like, oh, okay, and we signed up to the soccer league. Man, I watched, even my son playing soccer, I'm just like, I want to go on my phone. It's so boring. It's so slow. And if you ask any questions about baseball or the players or the games, I'm like, I don't know. Like, ask your mom. I have no idea how this game works. But basketball. Ooh, basketball. When, when basketball, when he talks about basketball, I can answer all of his questions. I can answer all of it. When we play basketball, it's so different than we play soccer. He wants to play soccer, I'm just like, okay, and I just kick the ball. But basketball, I'm like, come here, and, you know, I'm just like into it. We're playing intensely. And the reason why is because I'm passionate about basketball. I don't just like basketball, I'm passionate about basketball. Soccer and baseball, eh, it's okay, but basketball, it just comes out. And I didn't mean for it to come out, it just happened to come out. Passionate for basketball, and it reminds me of that line from La La Land, where they're talking about why it's important for Ryan Gosling to love jazz and the preciousness of it, and Emma Stone told him, you know why you need to be passionate? Because people love what other people are passionate about. You are drawn to people's passion, and when people are passionate about the Lord, people can't help but notice that, going, who is this thing that you're passionate about? What is that about? When we are not just doing these programs, trying to do outreach or evangelism, but we're just naturally passionate for Jesus, your church is gonna be on mission. People are going to be drawn to the church because something is happening. You're having a passionate people. And so here's a question. When you look at your life, are you passionate? If you're a Christian, is this something you're passionate about? Or has it been pretty dry these days? Has it been feeling pretty dry? When was the last time you actually remember, hmm, I think I was passionate about Jesus one time. When was the last time that happened? It's hard. I just, trust me, I understand. It's hard. It's tiring. It's, it's, it sounds a little bit overwhelming at times to even think about that. And that leads to the next point, which is, well, how do we raise passionate followers of Christ? You know, what's interesting is we so far talked about one of the three generations, right? You have Joshua's generation, passionate for God because they're serving the Lord the whole time. Uh, but then you have, this other, you have two other generations, the, the generation of the elders and the generation of the new generation. And look what it says about these guys in verses 7 and 10. Again, look at the text. The people served the Lord, starting in verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And then skip to verse 10. 
And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So here's the picture, okay? On the screen, we have the different generations. First, we have uh, Joshua's generation right there, passionate about God. And because they're passionate, they're serving God their whole lives. Next generation, we have the elders' generation. They know things about God. They heard about God. They go, oh, yeah, the, the, the Red Sea and Jericho, they know about it. Serve God their whole lives. And then we have the new generation. They do not know God or his works and did not serve God. What happened? Within three generations, pretty much if I was the passionate generation and my kids were the elder generation, that means my grandkids, they don't know God. They don't even know the works of God. What happened here? How did this dirt generation all of a sudden just lose touch with who God is? And I think here is the key phrase in verse 7 where it said that in Joshua's generation, they had seen all the great works that the Lord had done. That first generation, they're passionate about God because they experienced God. God was present in their lives. They saw God in the wilderness. They saw God bring down Jericho. They saw God conquer the promised land. They are with God. They experienced him. The next generation, they heard things about God. Oh, God, that's God. God did all that. The elders' generation is like, oh, I know a lot of things about God. And in that last generation, they probably heard stories, but they never really experienced God for themselves. They never experienced God for themselves. Now, when I think about our church, and I go, hmm, which generation is our church? Some, you know, are, we a, are we the Joshua generation where a lot of us are just filled with passion, wanting to serve the Lord all the days of our life? Ah, maybe some of us. Are we the, the generation that does not know God and we just do our own thing? Ah, maybe some of us. I think right now, most of us, we're in that elder generation. We know a lot of things about God. We know a lot of things about who he is. We know the stories. We know the cliches. We even follow God and serve him. But we don't really know him. We haven't experienced him in our lives. And if we keep that up, you know what's going to happen? The next generation is gone. Why? There's no passion in us. There's no passion. Because the way you experience passion for God, just like the way you experience your passion for anything else, is you must experience the presence of God. To experience passion for God, you must experience the presence of God. Because that's just how life works. Let me, uh, let me flesh this out. Um, I feel like we talked about this before, but there's a great documentary. It's called The Rescue, and it's on Disney+. Plus. Um, I feel like we talked about this, but let me say it in a different way. There's a the documentary called The Rescue, and if you don't know what that documentary is, it's about this Thailand soccer team. It's in Thailand. And the soccer team about junior high and high school students, and pretty much the scenario was they were walking through a cave, just walking around, and they got deep in the cave, and all of a sudden a flash flood came where it started pouring like crazy, and the cave started to flood. And the soccer kids, they're running away to not drown, and somehow they end up deep in the cave. And the parents, obviously, after they were missing for a while, they try to find out what happened, and they found out that these kids, they were stuck in this cave. And the problem was they couldn't get these kids because there's, it's a cave, and it's just filled with water. And so what, what happened was they had to send divers to try to help and find these kids. They didn't know the kids were alive, but they, no one could really dive through these caves. And so what happened was this story was reported all around the news. This happened maybe a few years ago when they reported this, and they pretty much were pleading for people who knew how to cave dive to come and help. 
And so people all around the world, from like Germany, from Australia, they heard the news, and these guys who were cave divers, they all came to Thailand to help out, to offer some help. Now what's interesting is in this documentary, when they got interviewed, they're like, why did you come? And they said, well, you know, I'm, I happen to cave dive. I know how to swim in a cave, and this is a unique gift that I had, or talent, so I planned to be there just for a few days to offer guidance, and I was gonna head back, because, you know, they, they needed help. But what's interesting is, as they were cave diving, uh, they didn't even know if these kids were alive, and a week had already passed. And these cave divers, they were like going into the cave, diving away, and all of a sudden, one of them, or two of them, uh, they popped up, and they saw the kids. The kids were still alive. And they were malnourished, and they were cold, and they were scared, but they were alive. And when the cave diver came out, he said, after I saw those kids, I, it was my mission to save them. Like, I had to be there and stay there. And so rather than just giving advice, these guys, they were the ones who actually went back to try to help the kids. And the reason why is because they said, when I saw the kids, it changed everything. I had heard a lot about it on the news, but actually seeing the children in person, it made me want to make sure that I rescued them, that I could be there to help them. In other words, what happened? Presence led to passion. By being in the presence and seeing the kids and being with them, it grew a passion for them to drive near and to make sure that these kids were okay. In the same way, I think this is what we need too. God feels very far where we know about him, but we're not passionate about him because we haven't experienced his presence. How can we experience his presence in our lives? I think there's a couple of like reformation things that we have to do, a couple of ways that we have to kind of reprogram ourselves. Here's the first one. More than information, we also need experience with God. Not just knowing information about God, but in order for us to, to actually have a passion for God, we have to also prioritize experiencing him. And this is challenging for us. You know why? Because a lot of us, uh, we grew up in an educated background where we're very rational beings. We grew up, a lot of us are Asian, where emotions you kind of push away and say, hey, you don't trust your emotions. A lot of us, we come from a conservative theology where it's all about, hey, you know how you grow in God? Information, learn doctrine. Learn doctrine. The more you learn about God, the more information you get, the more transformation takes place. Information leads to transformation. That's how we are wired. Information leads to transformation. And we're all wired that way. Here's proof that we're wired that way. For a lot of us, what is the highlight of Sunday worship? The sermon. We don't mind if we're late to Sunday so long as we get to the sermon. If you're missing the sermon, then you miss Sunday worship. Why? Because the sermon is information. You have to learn things about God. And so your Sunday experience is based on how good the sermon is. So if this sermon right now bombs, Sunday sucked. But if the sermon was great, Sunday was awesome. Why? I learned so much about God. I learned so much about myself. Not a bad thing, but again, information we think leads to transformation. And what I want to say is that helps, but it's not enough because there's still no passion. There's not going to be passion with information. Let me give you another proof about that. Here's a confession. Let me make a confession to our entire church. I read a lot of books. There's one book I never read, one series I never touched, Harry Potter. Never read Harry Potter. I don't know anything about Harry Potter. We went to Harry Potter land, Universal Studios, me and my wife. I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what the big deal was. Everyone's dressed up. I'm like, what are these? What are the Demogorgons? I have no idea what this stuff is. Um, I'm not even sure I'm saying it right. But then, um, uh, now, so... 
that's my situation. Never read Harry Potter, have no desire to read Harry Potter. But imagine you're a Harry Potter fan, and you're like, you gotta read Harry Potter. Like, after the service, you're like, you gotta read this. Like, read the book, watch the movie, do something. You gotta read it, because it's so good. Imagine if I said, okay, fine. Next week, I come back, and I go, hey, I read Harry Potter. And they're like, are you serious? All of them? I'm like, all of them. In a week, how's that possible? I went on Wikipedia. I read all the summaries of Harry Potter. You know, that book's not bad. Not bad. I actually like that book. What about the movies? Oh, I, movies, read that on Wikipedia too. I know the differences. Like, I read it all on Wikipedia. Now, if that happened, do you really think after reading on Wikipedia that I'm going to become a Harry Potter fan? That I'm going to be like, Harry Potter? Probably not, right? Probably not. Why? Because that's just information. I know Harry Potter, but did I experience Harry Potter? Did I experience what happens in the stories? No. And information does not lead to transformation. But a lot of us here, your Christianity feels like Wikipedia. You're reading a lot of Wikipedia articles about Jesus. Your data bank about Jesus is Wikipedia. But when's the last time you experienced Jesus? It's been a long time. We need more than information. We need to experience Jesus in our lives. Here's the second thing we need more of in order to experience Jesus. We need to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit again. The presence of the Holy Spirit. A lot of us, we know the Holy Spirit, but we're kind of don't know much about him, and we're kind of weirded out by the Holy Spirit, if we're honest. Um, our, we, God is Trinitarian, three in one, one in three, Father, Son, and Spirit, but in a lot of conservative, reformed churches especially, it's only Father and Jesus, that's it. God's in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, and that's kind of the extent of our relationship with God. And if that's your Trinitarian theology, then here's what happens. Jesus, he died for me in the past, so because he died on the cross, so he loved me, so okay, that's good. And then he rose again, and now he's waiting for me in heaven. Past, future, that's my extent of knowing Jesus, but in the present, nothing. There's nothing, just Wikipedia. That's it. But what happened was, if we remember, when Jesus ascended, he didn't just go, hey, peace out, I'll see you after you die. But he said, someone's coming. The helper is coming. The Holy Spirit is going to come down, and I am with you always to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be here, that we experience his presence. And yet for a lot of us, the Holy Spirit, we forgot that he even existed. He is the middle child of the Trinity that we don't even recognize. Because, again, we're kind of weirded out by the Spirit. Oh, spiritual gifts, tongues, that's the only time we talk about him. Or even to acknowledge the Spirit's presence. It just sounds kind of kooky to us. And what's sad about that, according to A.W. Tozer, he says like this, quote, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. This is what's missing for a lot of us. We know Jesus, but he's in heaven. We know the Father, but he's in heaven. We forgot about the Spirit. And he's where? He's here. He's present with you. He dwells inside the temple, which is his church, the people. If we want to experience the presence of God, we need to remember the Spirit of God again in our lives. And lastly, the last thing we need is, if we want to experience the presence of God, we need to prioritize consistency over intensity. Consistency over intensity. When I'm talking to you guys about let's be passionate, 
all the younger folks are like, yeah. But if you're a parent, you're like, oh, it sounds tiring. It sounds really tiring. Because when we think of passion and experiencing God's presence, very intense. We think of these intense things like retreats and mission trips and, oh, that's when I experience God's presence. And all the other stuff is just learning information. In other words, like I talked about before, it's all about hype, these hyped up moments that are filled with these intense energy that we're just too tired for. And nothing's wrong with those moments. Nothing's wrong with that. But if that's all you lean upon to experience God, you don't really know how God works. You've never been really trained to experience how God is really like. Relationships, they always start intense. Think about a girl you like or a guy you like. You take them to the craziest restaurants. I took my wife to like the craziest, most expensive restaurants the first few months. It stopped pretty shortly. It stopped a little bit afterwards. And you know, sometimes it's kind of weird, especially when you date someone for a long time or if you get married, where when you're driving, you always want to just talk, hey, so what's going on, what's going on? And you just want to start a conversation because you don't want it to be awkward because then what, what do they think? Do they feel like you're not being interesting? But you know what's really nice? I've been married to my wife for over 10 years now. When we drive, we're just quiet. We don't say nothing. And I feel close to her. I feel close to her. Why? I'm just in her presence. We're just in each other's presence. And it feels like we're in each other's presence. We leveled up. We leveled up. When you're all about the hype, and it has to be this intense thing with God, it's a very, very high school type of love, loving, sweetheart way of relating to somebody. Which again, it's nice. But you know what that's like? It's like trying to start a fire and all you know how to use is lighter fluid. How do you start a fire? Stand back, and it flames up. But you know how lighter fluid works, right? Goes down. It's dead, what do you do? And it blows up again, but just dies down. And after a while, you're gonna run out of lighter fluid, and that's why you see a lot of Christians who are super hyped up in college, super intense and passionate about God, they're just burned coals. They're just dead now. Because all they learned to do was lighter fluid. Versus what you really need to learn is you need to learn how to kindle and start a, start a little bonfire. You know what kindling is? You just get tinder and you just go, you just got to work on that fire. It takes a long time. It takes a little bit of effort. But slowly but surely, this fire starts to burn and it's a sustainable fire. It's a sustainable fire. See, for a lot of us here, this is something that we need to adjust to where our type of relationship with God, it's not this intense thing that we do, but it's just this consistency that we slowly practice. Because intensity sounds great, but it's gonna kill you in the long run. It's gonna make you dry. It won't last long. And the enemy makes you think to do small things every day, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. But true fruit, I promise you, it's in the small things you do consistently. It's always in the small things. Ask anybody, would you rather have a spouse who was amazingly serving to you the first few years of marriage and then just did not care afterwards versus a spouse who was just always there, little by little, serving you? Which one is a more passionate marriage? And that's what our church, we want to build a passion together. We want to be a church that's passionate, but what we mean by passion is experience God's presence. Not in this intense way, although that can happen sometimes, but in this consistent way where slowly but surely we are experiencing God's presence. That's why we exhorted our members. If you're a member of our church, remember what we said? We exhort you. Prioritize Sunday in your life. Prioritize worship. And not just a sermon, but do we see that when we gather here, we're not here just to hear a message. 
just to hang out with friends after. The living God is here. The living God is present through the power of the Spirit. And we sing to him. We pray to him. We experience him together in a unique way. That's what Sunday is about. I know it's awkward sometimes after worship. Who do I talk to? That matters, but that's so secondary. Who are you meeting here on Sundays? Do we really believe God is not meant just to be information spilled upon us, but he's here with us through the Spirit? That's why God's word, one thing that we want to exhort our people is not just to read it, but if you ever look at our booklet, it's experience God. Daily experience. Don't just read, but fellowship with him as you're reading through the Psalms. And that's why even for prayer, one thing that we added for all of us who are here in the beginning of worship, one thing we said is, hey, as, before we pray, let's just be silent. Let's be silent for a moment because we're used to this activity of us talking all the time, but let's be still and remember God is here. God is here. Have you ever prayed that way in a while? Where like God is just here and I'm recognizing that. And I showed this picture in our members meeting, but when, when, when this happens, I just imagine this on a boat, we're on a boat, and we, we want to get somewhere as a church, and we're saying, hey, you know how we get somewhere? Practice these things. Worship, word, prayer. Everyone just doing that. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to seem like, it's going to be like my son. Where are we going? How long is this taking? But just keep going, little by little, consistently, every single day. You know what's going to happen? It's going to lead to this, passion. One day we're going to find ourselves going, woo, I feel God. I feel God here. And it could be for a lot of us, we haven't felt God in a long time because we haven't done this in a long time. We haven't connected with him in a long time. And that leads to the last point, which is how do, where do we practice this? Where do we practice this passion, this presence of God in our lives? Going back to the text one more time, you know what's really interesting is um, the Israelites, when they, the new generation, when they lost, you know, they, weren't, they didn't know God or so forth. It's not like today where they're like, I don't know God because I'm an atheist now. Uh, I'm going to just do my secular thing. That's not what happened. In verse 11, look what it says. And the people of Israel, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Now, uh, what's interesting is there are thousands of gods in the land of Canaan, the promised land. There are a bunch of gods there. For some reason, throughout, not just in Judges, but throughout the whole Old Testament, Israel, the one type of god they always serve is the Baals. Who is Baal? If you research Baal, he's the god of storm, the god of the weather. And what's interesting about that is why did Israel choose to worship this god, the god of the weather? And the context helps. You know, this generation of Israelites, they never saw grass before because they were in the wilderness. It was all desert. They never had to grow crops in their life. You know why? God fed them manna from heaven. And now here they are in the promised land, and they inherited it, and it's like, now go, claim it. They have all this farmland all of a sudden, and they have no idea what to do. What do we do? How do we farm? How do you raise a pig? I've never seen a pig. Like, what do you do? They're not even allowed to eat pigs. But anyways, what do we do? How do we raise this land? But, you know, there were people who knew how to, how to crop the land. You know who they were? The Canaanites. They're neighbors. They're successful neighbors. You know, you want to know what, how we're successful, Israelites? Baal. There's a God we worship who can give us success. Give your heart to him, and then you could be successful with your career. In other words, this generation of Israelites, they knew God was in Egypt. They knew God was in the wilderness, they knew God was at Jericho, but when it came to the promised land, this new land that they're in, they did not think God was relevant. God was not relevant, they're not, he's not gonna help me here. I have to cling to something else. I think for a lot of us, that's how we treat God. God's here on Sundays. He might even be there in the, my mornings, 
But throughout the day, he's gone. He has no relevance. In my marriage, he's not there. With my coworkers, he's not there. With my finances, he's not there. God's not relevant to us. We're trusting the bales. We're trusting the bales. And I'm telling you, if that's the way your Christianity operates, you will never be passionate for Jesus. Because he's only present in a part of your life where true intimacy, true passion has to be all of your life. I have different categories of friends in my life. Um, there's some friends in my life where they just know me as Tom. I'm a pastor. And we talk about pastor stuff or church stuff. I call them acquaintances. And it's cool. Like I, I have a bunch of acquaintances. And that's all they kind of know. They know a small sliver of my life. And I have other people in my life where they don't just know me as Tom, the pastor. Uh, but they know me as, you know, I've, I'm married. I have kids. They know my hobbies. They know what I like. They know how to have fun. Those types of people, not acquaintances, my friends. They're my friends. They're people I just want to hang out with. And then there's a special group of people in my life where they know all that, but they also know not just what I like, but what I don't like. They know not just what brings me happiness, but my burdens, my sorrows, my sadness. That special group of people, those are like my companions for life. Those are like my brothers. Those are my sisters. I kill for them. Like I will fight to the death for them. I will defend their reputation because they're all over my life. Just inviting them into that made me love them more, the fact that they still love me. And this is how we need Christ in our lives. If Jesus is just a small part percentage of your life, you will never grow a passion for him. If his presence is only here for a small sliver, you will never care for him. He's just a distance acquaintance. But you need Jesus to replace the bales where he is there everywhere in your life, turning to him, trusting with him. That leads to intimacy. That leads to presence. And that grows into passion. And so as we close, uh, let me actually give a final exhortation. Uh, this is especially relevant to our members, but you know, we're beginning our church, and this is our mission. We want to raise passionate followers of Jesus for all of life. And we invite you to join this mission. We invite you that this is where our church is. It's not just a social club, although we want to hang out. We have a park day. That's awesome. We want people to be passionate about Jesus. And if I could give an exhortation to different groups of people here, uh, first to our college students. You're everywhere somewhere. I think you're mainly here. Um, I know for a lot of you, you feel like you could only experience God in these hype moments right now. That's kind of what college is. And that's why you're, I think our spiritual lives, it's often up and down in college. It's very up and down. The exhortation for our collegians during the season as you join us on mission, don't confuse passion with intensity. Don't confuse those two things. Intensity is great, but that's more personality. That's my, my son's just always intense. He's just an intense kid. But passion, it comes with consistency. It comes with the small things. And the invitation is don't depend on the loudest events to strengthen your faith. Do the, do the small, constant practices to follow Jesus. It's not exciting. It's not Instagram worthy. But it leads to true, deep change. To our young adults who are here, those of us who are busy with career, busy chasing after loved ones, busy thinking about finances, many of you are products of your hyped up college days. The last time you felt, you know, when I was passionate about Jesus was in college, back in KCM, back in CCM, back in AACF, when I was the president. I remember I was passionate back then, and it's been a long time since that happened. I can't, I haven't, I've been trying to recapture those days. I try to serve on those staff, the paratroop staffs and so forth. Just nothing really did it for me. So I'm just kind of a burnt coal. An exhortation to you is I think God is really trying to teach you a new, mature way of how to relate to him. He's trying to teach you that it's okay to be quiet in the car with him. 
In fact, that's a, you're leveling up when that happens. So don't get out of the car. Stay with him. Stay with him. You've been using lighter fluid your whole life to experience Jesus, but he wants to teach you how to build a bonfire. And so the invitation is join us in this new rhythm as we practice this together. Join us a new way of relating to Jesus. And again, it's slower, but it's a lot longer lasting. And lastly, to our older folks, people like me, people who are the late millennials, Gen Xers, even the boomers, all of us who are here, uh, you know, we're in this weird place, I think. When I talk to older people in our church, it's, it's a weird place because we are the oldest people in this church, but we don't feel old. Like at weddings, we think we could dance. Like we could still dance. Like that's kind of like this weird tension that's there. And what happens is it's kind of awkward when you're in that weird zone because you're, you feel too old to grow. Uh, all this passion stuff, yeah, that's for the college kids, but not for me. I'm too old for that stuff. But you're too young to feel responsible for people's passion. You're, you feel like, uh, I'm not a mentor? No, no, no. Oh, my responsibility? Uh, that's, I'm not that old. And it's like in this weird, awkward thing that takes place. And here's my exhortation for all of us who are older. Again, I know we're tired. I know we're busy. And I know we don't feel old. But embrace your role. Embrace your role in this community. We go as far as you go. We, we are as on fire as much as you are on fire. And I'm not talking about this lighter fluid fire. I'm just talking, are you burning at all? Is there anything burning? And do you have a desire to see people burn with passion in this church? I would love it if all of us who are older, who know what people are going through, we ticket on ourselves to be like, you know, I got to reach out to these younger folks. You know, I got to set the tone. You know, I have kids who I have to raise up as well to know Jesus. Because you saw what happens in the generations. If you're not passionate for Jesus, it's done. There's a generation that's going to just know Jesus, and another generation, they're gone. And so for us, do we want to see a passionate generation here? If we do, it begins with us. Are we passionate? Are we growing a passion? Let's take steps together. It's a long journey, but let's take it a little bit at a time, and let's do it together and see what God does. And so can I actually invite us to take a moment to pray? Wherever you're at, if you're a collegian, a young adult, married, parent, whatever generation you resonate with, you're Joshua's generation, you're uh, the elder generation, you're the new generation, whatever it might be, what's something that you feel that you need to do or what's something that you feel convicted that needs to change or even which one do you identify with and you just don't know what to do? As, I, as the praise team comes up, I just want us to take a moment to reflect, to have an honest moment with the Lord because I think God is really calling us to mission. He's calling our church to mission. He's calling us to mission in different ways depending on where we're at and he's asking us just to take a step towards that mission. And so if I could just invite us to just have an honest moment with God, where our heart is at, what we feel we need to do, and even for us to do it, for us to do it, and to see what God does in this church. And so can we really pray? Pray for ourselves, pray for our church, and then afterwards I'll close this in prayer. So let's take a moment in prayer, and then uh, we'll close all together. So let's pray.